We are again in Second Peter. Chapter 1, and we will also be turning to 2 Corinthians at some point, chapter 5, just a fair heads up. <clears throat> and our main text, our main verses for us this evening will, will be verse 12 through 15. <clears throat> but as I, I was sitting there this evening, uh, some thoughts came into my mind, and I thought of a contrast. And so this is uh, late in the game that I thought through this, so if it doesn't make a lot of sense or too much sense, you'll know why. But it should make some sense to us. Now, um, I am definitely not anti-sports. I used to be an athlete, um, still maybe a somewhat, I can still move around a little, but uh, I used to be an athlete. Uh, I played sports, and when you think about this today, and you think about um, the contrast we have here, I was looking at what our football is made of, and it's made of pigskin, they say, but you think about things that are made like that, and over time it changes somewhat. Um, but pigskin, inflated pig's bladder wrapped in leather. So you think about that. The cowhide, leather, latex, rubber, all made into this ball, this football. We all know what that is, right? Um, one ball, millions of viewers. The game will be adored. People will get crazy cheering and watching this. Stirred up at the game. Christians, some Christians will be more excited about the game than coming to Sunday morning worship. And some of the hymns that we even had the pleasure of and the ability to sing this morning. Think about those songs and how maybe we may have droned through some of them. And some of them maybe we uh, teared up through and, and cried through. But think of the, the passion that one can have for a sports team or a game. Again, nothing wrong with athletics and sports by any stretch. But you take away that one piece of equipment, that football, if you were to take that out, if they were, you would just remove that football and all footballs, any of the reserves or whatever, out of that stadium, just like that, there would be chaos. Now here we have whatever your Bible, your 66 books that God has given us, whatever it is covered in, I happen to have this one as cowhide, um, Another one I have is goat skin. Some, I have some that are imitation leather. Whatever you have there. So you follow my train of thought. We have what we have wrapped in leather. And this we can often neglect in comparison to, to a ball. Men, women died for this. Think about that this evening. The martyrs. Um, shoulders we stand on that gave us the ability to have this truth and to be able to listen to it and to study it this evening and to be reminded, as 2 Timothy says, 
All Scripture is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we consider the things that can stir us up in this life. Let the Word of God stir us up this evening as we consider our text in verse 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, Peter says. So reminded of the truth is our first point this evening. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. will remind you of what things? Well, most likely these are the things in verse 3 through 11 that we read just a little bit ago. That we've studied through. uh, That we have looked at and and we recall some of these. Verse 3 through 4, Christ has given believers all that they need for life and godliness. So if we were to ask the question... uh, someone was asking, what do, you, what do you have for life and godliness this evening, Christian? Well, God has given me everything for that. Everything I need. Verse 5 through 7, godly virtues that describe the Christian. We looked at those and we said this, the, these things are to describe us. This is to be how we are. And verse 8 through 11, these virtues necessary for one to enter the eternal kingdom. Not by works are we saved. We understand it is by grace we are saved, not by works so that no one may boast. But this regeneration, when we're saved by grace, it produces these things by the Holy Spirit in our life. And we, we look at these and we say, this is what we, ought, we have to be by God's grace. These evidences of salvation. And Peter says, I, uh, I remind you of these things. I'll always be ready to remind you of these things. A verse popped into my mind just now of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, of being clear and being ready and to have Christ sanctified in our hearts, set apart in our hearts, so that we are always ready to give the apologia or to give the apologetic, to give the defense of the hope that lies within us as we would remind others of the truth. Peter reminds them of his teachings. Reminders are needed for us, aren't they? Or I know they are for me. Um, We have at times text reminders. Now that's a new thing, right? You sign up for something, they say, oh, or you go to the doctor, do you want text reminders or email reminders so that... um, you'll be remember the appointment and they sometimes they want to do both because people really must not show up or really must be forgetful but nevertheless we have these reminders and we have alarms right to remind us to get up or remind us that oh uh, this is going to take place in a little while in a little while I I use post-it notes as I sometimes uh, explain and those are reminders for me I remember the old school reminder of having a a piece of thread or a string around one's finger, and that would give them the reminder of they had to do something. This was like Andy Griffith style back in the day, back then. Sometimes they'd have like four or five strings and uh, to keep track of all the, these things, maybe color-coordinated, I don't know. But Peter's audience tended to forget the things that they believed when they first became believers. 
Um, specifically, as we think of reminders, we need reminders of the things of the Lord, don't we? And that's partially why we're here this evening. Peter is resolved to remind believers of these things as long as he is able to. As long as he had breath in him, as long as God allowed it, he was going to remind the believers of these things. He did so to them with this letter, and he continues to do so for us today with this letter. He will keep on reminding of these things. Well, what was their grasp of these things already? We see here the answer in this verse. Even though you already know them and have been established in them, in the truth which is present with you. So so think of this. Peter wasn't saying, okay, you've got the basics now, now I'm going to give you some new stuff. No, he's saying, I'm reminding you of these things, even though you already know them. So consider that for us when we uh, when we uh, hear truth being taught and we're reminded of things that we need help remembering. And have been you have been established in the truth which is present with you. So that's really our second point: established in the truth. How did they come to know these things? Well, how do we come to be established in the truth? Well, first and foremost, we understand that that's through the proclamation of the word of God. And when we are converted, when we uh, are born again, and then first, then we are established in the things of the Lord. Uh, We're justified by faith alone. And then our sanctification takes off. And uh, we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And then we are established in these truths of the word of God through teaching Biblical teaching and preaching. That's how we are established in these things. Um, Established means to be found first and foremost, or to make firm or stable. To be established in these things, a strong foundation. You cannot be established in something you do not know. So therefore, the duty of the Christian is to indeed know the Word of God. Hopefully everyone is doing well on their reading plans that started in January, right? January 1st, read through the Bible, whatever plan you're on. But we are to be established in the truth, reading the Word of God, meditating upon the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, proclaiming the Word of God, hearing the Word of God. And we are to be stirred up in the truth. This is really our main point for this evening because Peter says in verse 13 I considered it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder now Peter when he's talking about this earthly dwelling doesn't mean the house he lived in as far as uh, the street name and everything two-story house he was talking about his earthly tabernacle or tent of this body. He felt responsible to remind the people of God. It was right for him as an apostle and for as long as he lived to do these things, to remind the people of these things. 
as long as he lived in this earthly tent. So you think about a tent, um, our present earthly bodies are, are temporary, are they not? Um, one day, um, as a tent would collapse in a storm, uh, some of us go camping and some of us go glamping. In a camping, that is a tent, and a storm comes, it's going to collapse. And our earthly tents one day will collapse. One day that is it. They, uh, they're weak. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. Okay, the, the imminence Peter is talking about here, he's saying, I consider it right as, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. This earthly tent, this is similar to what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. Let's look at these verses. Paul speaking here and writing this, he says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is speaking of our resurrected bodies or a place that God has prepared for us, some theologians would say, and take the position that he's referring to our glorified bodies. Now look at verse 2. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven okay so in this house in this tent we live in this body we groan not moaning groan not groan complain but groan why longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven we are clothed in the righteousness of christ but we're longing for that glorified body a time when we will have to no longer deal with our sin anymore. Paul says something else. I'm just going to look at uh, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 22. I'll just read this. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, he says, but... Also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why? Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So this is something that we are awaiting for and that we groan for. Verse 3, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Now, this naked here speaks of without a body. It doesn't speak of actually being nude. Verse 4, For indeed, while we are in this tent, again, in this body we're in now, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Groaning for the resurrected body, the glorified body, clothed 
these resurrected bodies. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, not right now, verse 50 through 55. We see verse 5 here in 2 Corinthians. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Now, remember what Peter is saying here. He's saying, uh, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, I, I consider it right to stir you up by way of reminder. As long as I'm in this physical tent, this earthly dwelling, this tabernacle, same thing Paul is saying here. And he's saying, while we're in this tabernacle, we also groan because we want uh, to, to be with the Lord. But God has given us the Spirit of God as a pledge, as a down payment, some would say. This pledge that cannot be taken away from us. And Ephesians has something to say about this. Paul, again, I'll just read it for us this evening. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So there again, we have this hope that we look forward to. We have this pledge of the Holy Spirit of God, this inheritance that we have, yet we groan with these earthly tents that are very fragile at this time. Verse 6, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Part of this groaning. Anyone ever feel that way? When you're going through whatever you're going through and you just want to be with the Lord, you, you say, enough of this life anymore. Enough, enough of this heartache or this pain or whatever it is with this sin that, that weighs me down. I'd rather be with the Lord. But verse 9, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So Paul brings us back. He says, there, our ambition is to be pleasing to Christ. For we all, verse 10, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, still there. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Believers receiving rewards in heaven for what we have done in this life, this brief life, this life that Peter is saying here in 2 Peter, that is almost over for him. This is the life that we are not to waste. We only get one of them, right? This side of glory. <clears throat> verse 11 therefore since all of these things that Paul says about the tent that we live in this tabernacle and how we are going to stand before God he says therefore knowing the fear of the Lord we do what we persuade men there again is the accountability to persuade those as we are ambassadors of Christ to persuade men 
to the things of the Lord. But we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Scroll all the way down to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. Paul says, we beg you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's pleading with them. Corinthians, be reconciled to God. We ought to plead with lost people. Be reconciled to God, begging them, as it were, to be reconciled to God. That is who we are, ambassadors, and that is what our message is. Now, going back to Peter, as long as he is able, he seeks to stir them up. John Flavel, one of my favorite Puritans, he says, to keep the heavenly flame of love and zeal lively upon the altar of their hearts. That's what Flavel's saying of this. This is what Peter means. To keep the, uh, the love and zeal upon the altar of their hearts. Peter knew, as Flavel says, Peter knew what a sleepy disease the best Christians are troubled with. And therefore, he had need to be stirring them up and awakening them to their duty. And John Owen says, another favorite, thoughts of the glory of Christ. Anyone writes or thinks about the glory of Christ? You want to know? It's John Owen. Thoughts of the glory of Christ are too high and and too hard for us. We cannot delight in them for very long without becoming weary and turning away from them. He says, we are unspiritual, our our thoughts and desires being taken up with other things. If we would stir ourselves to believe the things that the angels desire to look into, our spiritual understanding and strength would increase daily, he says. We would then show more of the glory of Christ by the way we live, and death itself would be welcome to us. And Thomas Watson, another favorite, right? (laughs) All the Puritans, really. God will fill the hungry because he himself had stirred up the hunger. Think about that. If someone says, I'm hungry for the word of God, well, you know who did that? That was God who did that in you. Or we say, wow, uh, these people, they're hungry for the word of God. Well, praise God, he's the one that stirred up that hunger. As in the case of prayer, Watson continues, when God prepares the heart to pray, he prepares his ear to hear. Think about that. Preparing our heart to pray. God is, in anthropomorphic language, preparing his ear to hear. I'll just read this, Psalm uh, 10, verse 17. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble, not of the proud, it says, of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Prepare his hand to fill. Thomas Watson says, In the case of spiritual hunger, when God prepares the heart to hunger, 
he will prepare his hand to fill. Oh, we need to be stirred up, do we not? Constantly. We have an ability to stimulate our own minds, to stir up our own minds in the things of the Lord, and also to, to stir, up, stir up one another. The moment we realize Christ is ours, we must work at stimulating our minds and our memory. And Peter is saying to re- these things to remind us of these things. We tend to forget what we ought to remember. And we tend to remember the things we ought to forget. Further, we, we dwell on things we ought to let loose. Rather than dwelling on things we ought to marinate upon, meditate upon, memorize. Now, Peter is not saying he's going to stir them up so that they will live on memories. Instead, he desires to stir them up so that these things may be active in their minds presently so that they may live by them now. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, that is the value of reading the Bible. That is the value of prayer and meditation. We must forcibly remind ourselves daily of certain principles. Otherwise, they will merely remain vaguely in the realm of memory and they will not be actively operating in our daily life. The preaching of the Word of God is not to present us with new and interesting ideas, but to remind us of certain truths. Isn't there a battle going on to gain our attention and gain our affections every day? to stir up our minds with things that are unnecessary at best and horrific at worst. The world provides many ways to stir us up. And Peter says this right on the heels of what he's going to get into in chapter 2. You just look at that. We'll read a few verses. Peter's reminding them of these things. He's laying out this theology And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be also false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So Peter would then get into warning them. So we have thus far reminded of the truth. That is our responsibility, and that's what Peter is doing for us as well, reminding us of these things. Uh, We are established in the truth. That is a a past action, but it is continuing for us. 
continually being established in the truth. We are being stirred up in the truth. And we are to stir one another up in the truth. And then there is the necessity of the truth. The necessity of the truth. Verse 14. Peter says, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Again, Peter stresses the brevity of life, the weakness that is described as a tent. Peter speaks of an imminent departure. He would die soon. How long? How did he know? Well, Jesus made it clear to him. He also, possibly, Paul had, uh, was, had visions that the Lord uh, revealed to him, or the Lord gave him visions that he would know these things. And Peter was uh, told by Jesus exactly what was going to happen to him. Um, imagine hearing these words. In the end of the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, familiar to us, and verse 18 and 19. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I won't hold it against you. P, uh, John, chapter 21. Coming back to Peter. Now think about this, what, what Jesus said to him after Jesus was resurrected, but before he ascended on high. So this is before Pentecost, but this is after Jesus was resurrected. And then he came to the disciples, remember, and they saw him and they didn't, uh, how they responded. We'll, we'll see when we get there, Lord willing. But look at verse 18. <clears throat> This is after he, uh, Jesus rebuked him with the do you love me statements. And he tells him to tend his sheep. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you. Again, we have that statement. Or verily, verily, I say unto you. But truly, truly, I say to you. Listen up, Peter, he's saying. When you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus made it clear to Peter that he was going to die and the manner of death of how he was going to die. Now, Tradition says that uh, he was crucified upside down because he was not, he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified as his Lord was. What we can be clear on is what Jesus said to him here, and what Jesus said to him was signifying what kind of death he was going to die. And so he did indeed tell him these things, and when you're old, these things will happen. And indeed, when Peter wrote this, when we go back to 2 Peter, <clears throat> we don't know exactly what was going on in Peter's life at this time. 
which would cause him to make this statement. But when Jesus said these things to him at the end of the Gospel of John, this was about 40 years earlier. So Peter could have very likely been in his 70s at the time of writing this. There was no retirement for these apostles. They were all in until the last breath. That should be some encouragement for us. Time of persecutions were likely present when Peter wrote this. Peter uh, in his 70s, likely. The nearness of his death is stressed. Also, the necessity of his death. He says, I must put off this tabernacle. He wasn't saying, oh, what can I do to, to preserve my life? He was saying, no, I, I must put off this tabernacle. Now, just as a side, as I was, we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we we're talking about the, the tent that we have, and it is a week, and it is uh, going to fall apart. And some of us, it is falling apart already. We're to be good stewards of the body that God has, has given us in this time that we, we live in it, right? So just as an aside, we don't say, well, this is a tent anywhere. I'm just going to do what I want. It's going to fall apart, so let me hasten that. No, we're to be good stewards. But, but Peter here at the, the end of his life is saying, I must put off this tabernacle. The end has come. Here was a man who was facing death in its face, knowing the Lord and knowing he will be laying aside his tent. It's going to happen. There's no stopping it. And he has embraced it. Flavel again, he says, Into the field we must go and look that last and most dreadful enemy in the face. It is vain to think of sending another in our place, for no man dies by proxy. So we can't someone else, send someone else in to say, Oh, well, I'm not ready yet. Can you go for me and do this? No, when it's time, it's time. Right? It's appointed for, for man uh, to die once and then then the judgment, as Hebrews tells us. Peter reminds the people, and we are reminded as well, that life is but a vapor. Time is short. We are pilgrims. Lloyd-Jones, again, man is a traveler. The world is a kind of inn in which we spend a night as we are moving along. Think of that in comparison, our life here on earth in comparison to eternity. It is, as such, a, a brief thing. Flavel again, they are but tabernacles, frail and movable frames, not built for continuance. These will drop off from our souls as the shells fall off the bird in the nest. Death set out its journey towards us, the same hour we were born. And how near is it come this day to many of us? You consider that. The moment we were really in the womb. But let's just, when we were born and we were outside of the womb, we started, we're living, but we're dying too. Because death is coming. We recall how Peter urges believers to consider themselves in 1 Peter, in his first letter that he wrote. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll just read this verse 11. 
Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. So he tells us how to live in this land. All boasting in this life as pilgrims, strangers, in these earthly tents is useless. With one exception, we are to boast in Christ and Christ alone. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, Paul says. None of us can be quite sure of when exactly our journey on this earth will be done. We do not know when the Lord will call each of us home. We do know that none of us are getting any younger. We do know that life is a vapor. It is brief. A very small portion of our existence, if I could put it that way. We do know that time is flying by. And our journey is closer to the end than many of us realize. We consider that, and we consider what Peter is telling us. That much faster we should run as we serve the Lord. The tape is there. The, the finish line is there. I was talking to a young man the other day, and he was finishing college, and I said, well, the finish line is there, the tape is there, and you can see it. You're almost there. And then he said, well, yeah, but then there's another one after that, or another tape after that. I said, well, just focus on that one. Focus on that end of that race. And that's what we are to do. We see the tape. We see the finish line. How much... We should take great care to run well. The necessity of the truth and to be remembered for the truth. Remembered for the truth. Verse 15, 2 Peter chapter 1. Think about what will be on your headstone. Maybe some of you thought of that. Maybe you already know. If you're going to have one. What do you want to be remembered for? We think about the think about the obituaries we've read. Or maybe go read some. Of all the things that people are remembered for, and no mention of the truth, no mention of knowing Christ or what how they serve the Lord because they didn't know the Lord. Remembered for the truth. Peter says, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you'll be able to call these things to mind. Think about that just for a moment. Just think about Dr. R.C. Sproul, who's with the Lord now, and his teachings. Although dead, as we say, although dead, well, he's with the Lord, still speaks to us. Think of all the preachers. Think of all the Puritans that I quoted this evening, these shoulders that we stand on. Although dead, died, and with the Lord, they still speak. They're remembered for, what, for Christ, for serving the Lord, and they're remembered for the truth. What can Peter do after he departs to bring these things to their minds? Well, if departure means death, how will these things be brought back to their minds? Well, through this letter. Here we are, studying it and reading it. Some how many thousands or years later? 
He's reminding us now. Flavel again, he says, he resolves to use, to use his utmost endeavor to secure these things in their memories after his death that they might not die with him. He doesn't want to take all these with him. He wants to leave this all. He wants to leave it behind so that others can be re- re- reminded of these things, of the truth of the word of God. Although with the Lord, Peter he still speaks through the God, the God-breathed word speaks to us. Peter, just an instrument used by God. But not only did Peter stir them up while he was alive, he wanted to be sure to stir them up after his departure. Shouldn't our resolve, or one of our resolves be to do the same? To live in such a way? To, to continually stir up our own hearts? with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, and to stir up one another, and to be stirred up by one another, by teachings of the Word and preaching, to be remembered this way. Now, much more I could say. Tempted to read it and to say it, but I'll end with this. Another great Puritan, Richard Sibbs. He says this, it was said of Richard Sibbs, he didn't say it, it was said of him. And he was quite the, the, uh, the man, quite the character, so to speak. It was said of Sibbs, heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Can we be described this way? Should we be described this way? Our points again, just to be reminded, reminded of the truth, stirring up with the truth, the necessity of the truth, being remembered for the truth. We will sing once again and then 